Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.44 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It is the fifth day of June, 2023, and this is episode 730 of Bitcoin and the Bitcoin price is down. Oh my God, I wonder why. What what could possibly be going on? Well, the SEC is suing Binance in the United States District Court for unregistered securities operations. <coughs> Excuse me. If that headline sounds like we've covered it before, we kind of have. But we kind of haven't. We've been covering it in the sense that it was possible this was going to happen. Now it has, as of this morning. This is a bad Monday for everybody, I guess. The Oh, by the way, this is written by Derek and uh, Anderson, uh, Cointelegraph. United States Securities and Exchange Commission filed suit against Binance, its United States platform, and CEO Shang Peng Zhao in the district court, district court for the District of Columbia, June the fifth. That's today. That's what's going on. Everybody, calm down. We probably we I I don't know. This was inevitable. It was inevitable that they were going to do this. They kept Garrett Gensler kept signaling he was going to do it. He's done it today. They're getting sued. The U.S. regulator pressed no less than thirteen charges against Binance including <clears throat> unregistered offers and sales of the BNB and BUSD tokens, the Simple Earn and BNB Vault products, and its staking program. In addition, <clears throat> the SEC alleges that the suit that Binance failed to register its Binance.com platform as an exchange or a broker-dealer clearing agency. Further, it claimed Binance and BAM trading failed to register Binance.us as an exchange, broker, and clearing agency. CZ was sued as a controlling person, according to the suit, quote, Defendants have enriched themselves by billions of U.S. dollars while placing investors' assets at significant risk. Defendants have engaged in multiple unregistered offers and sales of crypto asset securities and other investment schemes, uh, it continued by saying, quote, defendants BAM trading and BAM management defrauded equity, retail and institutional investors about purported surveillance and controls over manipulative trading on Binance.us platform, which were, in fact, virtually non-existent. Ooh, this is bad. It's not bad for Bitcoin. It is in the short term because, you know, price and all, but this is really just about Binance, honestly. So everybody calm down. Among the allegations behind the charges are claims that Binance failed to restrict U.S. investors from using Binance.com and that Binance.us engaged in wash trading through its primary undisclosed market-making trading firm, Sigma Chain, which is owned by CZ himself. In addition... The suit claims that funds from Binance and Binance.us were commingled in an account controlled by CZ Associate Merit Peak Limited. 
These charges echo complaints filed by Commodity Futures Trading Commission on March the 27th. CZ denied those charges in a detailed blog post. Gensler from the SEC said in a statement, quote, as alleged, Zhao and Binance misled investors about their risk controls and corrupted trading volumes while actively concealing who was operating the platform, the manipulative trading of its affiliate market maker, and even where and with whom investor funds and crypto assets were custodied. Wow. <laughs> In quote, the SEC is demanding permanent enjoyment of on Binance and CZ from further activities disgorgement of ill-gotten gains with interest and financial penalties. Okay, that's that's the one. Permanent enjoyment. They're basically saying you need to shut down Binance and all of its affiliates right now. That's what they want. Shut it down and all of your money goes away. All right, that's sort of a big deal, right? It's sort of a big deal. So, I have been saying for like weeks and weeks and weeks that the storm is not over there. I have been focusing primarily on digital or DCG Barry Silbert's outfit and all the uh, grayscale Bitcoin trust and all the other trust for all the shit coins out there. I've been focusing on that, but Binance has always been out there, right? Binance has always been out there. CZ seems like he's a pretty decent Joe. Uh, so I haven't really, you know, look, really looked into the quote unquote practices because I don't trade. So I don't know. It's impossible to find out other than what other people say about it. And there's just really no way to verify that stuff. The only thing that you have to go on is when the SEC releases stuff like this and Gensler gets really, really angry and he decides to go after somebody like Binance because Binance is just as big as the whole GBTC, uh, digital currency group, DCG, whatever, uh, Barry Silbert's outfit. They're just as big, if not slightly bigger. And and I, I, I think that there's an argument there that Binance represents a bigger portion of the pie, but I think that that's more because of active trading, but we'll see. They're both pretty big elephants to shoot. And honestly, DCG at least needs to go down, you know, but Binance and DCG going down together is going to put pretty good price suppression on Bitcoin in terms of US dollar and fiat, other fiat currencies. We're going to have to wait it out because the storm is not over. Now, here is a, a blog post for, on Binance.com. They're writing, quote, From the start, we have actively cooperated with the SEC's investigations and have worked hard to answer their questions and address their concerns. While we take the allegations seriously, they should not be on the subject of an SEC enforcement action, let alone on an emergency basis. Any allegations that user assets on the Binance.us platform have ever been at risk are simply wrong. The SEC's actions here appear to be in service of an effort to rush to claim jurisdictional ground from other regulators and investors do not appear to be the SEC's priority. Basically, they're they're accusing the SEC of grandstanding and claiming uh, jurisdiction, that that's all that this is, that there's really no, no substance to the claims. However, the, here's the problem. I believe that there is substance to the claims. All of these things that they've been they've been putting and dumping shit coins on retail for years, and most of them 
meet the prescriptions of that which is the Howey test. They're securities. I'm sorry, but they are. The SEC, as much as you, you can hate Gensler all you want. You can hate the SEC all you want. You can hate regulation all you want. The only thing that ever came out of the SEC that I actually respect is the Howey test. That's it. Now, I will agree with you that people should be able to buy whatever the hell that they want. But we don't live in that world. We live in a regulated world. I live in reality. All right. So I can I can fantasize about what it would be like if everybody could buy whatever the hell they wanted and anybody could sell whatever the hell they wanted and nobody ever got into trouble, even though that they were just out there to scam every single person they see. But that is a fantasy. The reality is we live in a world of regulation. I agree with Binance that I think that they're just claiming jurisdictional. uh, Well, they're they're claiming their jurisdiction. They want to be the ones that control all this shit. That that's how important Bitcoin is, is that they completely it's completely redirected the mission of the SEC. Now the SEC's mission statement is probably going to include something about crypto, but we all know that that whole thing really means Bitcoin. So the headwinds have not stopped. The hurricane is still ongoing. Please, please, please do not mistake this for anything other than what it is. It's the other end of the hurricane that started with the collapse of Terra Luna. All right. Now that said, we are a full, you know, we're like 12 months away from the having. In my opinion, <clears throat> this, I hope this ends within this quarter. You know, because if we can get rid of the storm and still have nine months left before the having, I think that that would be really, really good. But eh, we'll, we'll, we'll have to, we'll have to see. Um, here's one from JP Morgan. It's well, it's actually from Coindesk, but uh, Bitcoin retail demand to remain strong ahead of the halving event, according to JP Morgan and Will Candy brings it to us from Coindesk. The event will double the Bitcoin production cost to around $40,000, creating a positive psychological effect, the report said. Retail demand for Bitcoin is likely to remain strong over the coming year ahead of the next halving event for the world's largest cryptocurrency, J.P. Morgan said in a research report on Thursday. Recent increases in retail demand can be partly attributed to the advent of, you guessed it, Bitcoin ordinals and BRC20 tokens, the report said. But more importantly, quote, retail investor demand for Bitcoin is likely to strengthen as we approach the April 2024 halving event. So the having event is when the rewards for Bitcoin mining on a per block basis are divided in half. Right now, every miner, no matter what the fees, no matter what the transactions, empty block, full block, doesn't matter. You get 6.25 Bitcoin if you find that block. Okay, in April of 2024, that gets divided in half. Okay, so just be aware. This is because historically the production cost has acted as an effective lower bound to the cryptocurrency price. Previous halving events in 2016 and 2020 were accompanied by a bullish trajectory for Bitcoin prices that accelerated after they occurred, the bank noted. In contrast, institutional demand for Bitcoin has been falling, with investors discouraged by fraud, heightened volatility, and a year-to-date U.S. regulatory assault that has led to increased uncertainty. 
JP Morgan previously argued that gold and Bitcoin both rallied strongly following the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank as investors regarded those asset classes as hedges to a catastrophic scenario with institutional investors buying gold and retail buying Bitcoin. So JP Morgan still flashing bullish signals for retail. Uh, what's going on with institutions? I think institutions are not as out of the game as JP Morgan thinks. I think that they're, I, I, I think that they're more in play than retail is right now because retail doesn't do what? They don't get a report from, I don't know, like the, let's say the CFTC on something about Bitcoin and immediately sell everything that they have because retail doesn't do that kind of market research that fast, right? Retail waits for the news to come out. So within, when you get a price drop on 15 minutes of something being released, that's not retail. No, that's institution. So no matter what JP Morgan says here, institutions are very much in play. Now, as to whether they will continue buying, I think that they might be correct about that, but they're not actually just dumping all the time. I think that this last dump might be the last dump for uh, for institutions, and they're just going to hold whatever they have left and you know watch what happens. So we might be seeing a complete change in market dynamics for the short term. Now, <clears throat> looking into the role of credit unions that can play in Bitcoin adoption. All right. So Bitcoin Magazine, BTC Casey has written this one. In a recent interview with Bitcoin Magazine, Chief Lending Officer Chase Larson and CEO Jed Mayer of St. Cloud Financial Credit Union, based in Minnesota, discussed their experiences with Bitcoin and their efforts to develop a Bitcoin custody solution at the credit union. Larson shared his personal journey with digital assets starting in 2016, and his realization of the need for accessible resources and education for individuals interested in Bitcoin. He joined the credit union in 2021 and focused on education and connecting people with resources related to cryptocurrency. Mayer emphasized the importance of understanding the material need for Bitcoin services in their community and outlined a strategy, strategic, sorry, strategic four-step approach that prioritizes education and storage, then transactional ability, and then banking products. Mayer highlighted their focus on education as a way to change the narrative around Bitcoin and address the risks and concerns associated with it. Regarding the Bitcoin custody solution, Larson stated that they have been working on developing a product that is currently operational but not yet ready for launch to their 25,000 credit union members. The credit union has been prioritizing education both internally and externally, ensuring that their employees and members understand the intricacies and risks of cryptocurrencies. They aim to be a reliable partner for their members, offering safe storage options and guidance without advising specific investments. Quote, from an educational perspective, we said, let's really start foundational from the ground floor, Larson explained. We're going to talk or walk our members through this high level of education in an effort to, one, help them become more informed, regardless if they own it today, plan to own it or not. We want our members to be well informed. And then, two, for those that choose to get into the space, hopefully they make more informed decisions and understand the risks. The interview also touched on the collaborative approach with regulators to ensure responsible implementation of their services. Larson and Mayer believe that education and storage are areas where they can make a significant impact 
while working within regulatory frameworks. They have engaged with regulators and are in ongoing discussions to incorporate their feedback into the development of policies and procedures. Speaking on the future impact that Bitcoin could have on the traditional finance realm, Mayer said that if you do nothing, I think you're taking more risk as to where this industry is actually headed in the future and how it will actually impact us to a significant degree. And if you don't want to be on the receiving end of how others have developed this, you should probably get involved now in quote, overall St. Cloud financial credit unions approach to Bitcoin reflects a commitment to educating their members and working collaboratively with regulators to navigate the evolving landscape of Bitcoin. While self-custody is inherently the most safe method of storing Bitcoin in a world where education on Bitcoin is lacking, credit unions can serve in an educational role. In addition, innovations like Fediments could help create custodial solutions that help retain the properties of Bitcoin that make it sovereign money, while still ensuring a level of distributed responsibility that makes those involved more comfortable. So credit unions getting involved in the game would be interesting, and that is 100% retail. Credit unions, there's not a whole lot of institutions that go to a credit union. Okay, that's, we're talking about teachers, we're talking about like union workers, we're talking about like, you know, city, guys that work for cities, guys that work for counties. Those are the people that engage the most with credit unions. That's 100% retail. And as long as they're not trading bullshit, you know, tokens, A, and B, not actually acting as a quote-unquote trading desk for just Bitcoin only, the SEC probably isn't going to want to look at them. If they're just custody and the on-ramp and an off-ramp, but trading is like trading is like a one-time event, you know, you buy it or you sell it or you buy it one month and sell it the next month, that's not really... That's not really worthy. We're talking, SEC likes to look at Binance because of, you know, high transactions, high volume trading, all, all that kind of stuff. So that's where institutions kind of, you know, kind of go out and play in the field. Credit unions, 100% retail. So I think that this is good. We'll obviously we'll have to see if it actually takes root. But right now, yes, bear markets are when we build. But bear markets are hard are still hard to build in, okay? Just because you build in a bear market doesn't make it easy. In fact, it's it's harder to build in a bear market than it is in a bull market because there's no excitement, right? It, we're in the dregs of the bear market right now and everybody's exhausted. Retail doesn't give a shit. They're worried about other stuff. So when you're building, maybe what we should say is further adding further structure to what you have been building for as long as you can, right? Adding resiliency, uh, adding something, you know, anything that may streamlines your stuff. This is when you can really not as much build, but this is when you can streamline, make resilient, uh, cut fat, do all the things because you have the ability, you have a, a chance to sit back and look at something because, you know, everybody's in the dregs of the bear market. It doesn't, it, I'm not suggesting that we're not building. I'm just saying that the buildings that are being built are being, have the ability to be built stronger in this particular environment. That's what I'm saying. Except for atomic wallet. <laughs> mm. uh, poison bean juice. Sorry. <clears throat> atomic wallet i'm going to be 
up front with you. I've never even heard of this thing. I've been in Bitcoin since 2015. And maybe I'd heard about it in passing, but I it's, it's just something that's never been on my radar. But it is now because Atomic Wallet users have been hacked for $35 million worth of Bitcoin, Ethereum, Tether, and other tokens. <clears throat> Coindesk. Shara Malwa is uh, writing this one. The crypto industry's latest casualty occurred over the weekend as nearly $35 million worth of various tokens were stolen from Atomic Wallet, a centralized storage and wallet service. These tokens included Bitcoin, Ether, Tether, Dogecoin, Litecoin, BNB coin, and Polygon. Tron-based USDT seemed to be the largest stolen cash. On-chain analytics cited by blockchain sleuth Zach XBT showed... On a Mon- in a Monday tweet, Atomic Wallet said that the impacted users represented less than 1% of our monthly active users, with the last drain transaction occurring on Saturday. The firm previously said it was investigating and analyzing the attack. It had not yet released specifics of the attack as of Monday morning. Victims have been asked to submit information on a Google Docs form that Atomic Wallet is using to conduct its investigations. Several users report that their crypto was stolen after a recent software update, while others say they were impacted despite not updating to the latest version. Messages from Atomic Wallet's official Telegram channel viewed by Coindesk show. Okay, so if if it is the case, and it is 100% true, that users that had not updated to the newest version were still affected, that means this is sort of a zero-day attack. So... Again, I don't really recall ever hearing anything about Atomic Wallet, yet $35 million is a lot. And the fact that several people, you know, on Twitter and Noster and, and, you know, they were screaming about this, like, I should know what Atomic Wallet is. I've, I got to be honest with you cats. I've never really heard of it. So I'm not sure what all the hubbub is about, but apparently it's really rubbing people the wrong way. And yet another hack doesn't help anybody anywhere, or it certainly doesn't help anything else. So uh, the storm is not over. That's what I'm trying to tell you. I was warning you that, that I was warning you. This is not over. And I wholeheartedly believe that the very, I mean, if even if Binance falls first, I still think that the last domino to fall is Digital Currency Group and Barry Silbert and the Grayscale Group of Trusts and anything, was it uh, Genesis Trading, all that, all of it needs to get flushed. And then we can, you know, once the forest fire has finally subsided and we can go in, then we can take, you know, an accounting of just how much we've actually lost and figure out where we need to replant but here's my problem is that the scammers never die. And we're going to be dealing with these assholes for the rest of our lives. They're never going to be burned out. They're like weeds, okay? Just understand that and respond accordingly, I suppose. And maybe that just means we all say, screw it and move down to El Salvador. They've unleashed the volcano energy with... 241 megawatts of planned Bitcoin mining in operation. Oh, okay. We'll, we'll find out from BTC Casey, Bitcoin magazine. The country of El Salvador is tapping into its abundant natural resources to create volcano energy. 
According to a press release sent to Bitcoin Magazine, the aim is to position the country as a major global player in the Bitcoin mining industry while promoting energy competitive, I can't say anything, it's Monday, competitiveness, diversification, and geographic expansion for the Bitcoin network. Adopting a debt-free approach, El Salvador plans to construct a 241 megawatt renewable power generation park in the Metapan region combining solar and wind projects quote this project is transformative uh, and it will establish one of the world's largest bitcoin mining farms located in the el shisht hamlet within the municipality of metapan santa Ana. this chosen site boasts exceptional solar and wind energy yields to the country the park will have a capacity of 169 megawatts of photovoltaic solar power and 72 megawatts of wind energy. The initial computational power is expected to surpass 1.3 exahashes per second, marking a significant milestone for the country and the industry. The release stated that the total commitment for the project is $1 billion, beginning with a first investment of $250 million bootstrapped by key Bitcoin industry leaders with collaboration from top developers and manufacturers of renewable energy technology, as well as Bitcoin mining experts on a global scale. The government of El Salvador will play a crucial role in the planning and execution of the initiative, securing a preferred participation equivalent to 23% of the revenue. The remaining ownership will be divided among investors and reinvested in expanding energy production capacity and advancing Bitcoin mining. Robert Warren of Distributed Hash explained on Twitter that the reasoning behind leveraging wind and solar is likely to monetize quicker to build upon a base set of geothermal expansions. By leveraging volcano energy, in quotes, El Salvador aims to create a prosperous future driven by sustainable energy in Bitcoin. As the country's investment progresses, volcanoes could serve as the backbone for this transformation, fostering economic growth and prosperity for future generations. The establishment of the Renewable Power Generation Park signifies a large step toward achieving these goals while cementing El Salvador's position in the global Bitcoin mining industry. That's the end of the article, but what I hate about stuff like this is an announcement of an announcement. I want to see the thing. I want to see the announcement of not what you're going to do, what you're breaking ground on. I want to see the, the like, like literally a video from a drone that shows a site being excavated in real time, proven to me that it was happy, actually happening on a particular date, and that proven to me that it is, in fact, about this thing. Because otherwise, I take this with a grain of salt. Sure, I love El Salvador news. I love it when it comes out. That's why I bring it to you, but I don't trust them. I I mean, where are the volcano bonds? Hmm? Where are the volcano bonds? How, I mean, how much more are we going to put up with that kind of bullshit when we start thinking about how we deal with El Salvador and their announcements, you know, today and going into the future? Right now, I don't believe any of this. I just don't. And... I think that that's the safer way to, I want, I want them to show me what is actually happening, not what they're planning on doing because they were planning on volcano bonds. They were, they're planning on the Bitcoin city. They're planning on this industrial park. I, until I actually see it, I, I did me <laughs> screw it. But what is real are numbers. So let's run them.
do you know what's not a breaking red, you know, highlighted headline on CNBC.com futures and commodities? The fact that OPEC plus cut their production or have told everybody in the world that they're going to cut their production again for July. Now, there's not a, a there's no stories in trending. <clears throat> Let's see. I got uh, Mike Pence files paperwork, uh, presidential campaign. Apparently, Pence is going to run. And a mom and dad, a 14-year-old college grad doing something. Another, a 23-year-old's ice cream empire is $650,000 a year, making you feel, you know, bad. Harvard psychologist, about nine phrases that either say that you're a, a, a good person or you suck. It, it That's, oh, and Apple unveils her 15-inch MacBook. Not a single, not a single word at all, at all about OPEC. So I'll bring it to you. So here we go from Reuters. What oil production cuts were agreed to at the OPEC plus meeting? Alex Lawler is, you know, writing it for Reuters. And I had to get this from archive.ph because even Reuters is putting up paywalls. And uh, until they do a, you know, a lightning network uh, in or an invoice-based paywall where I can just, you know, flash 25 cents at them. I'm going to continue to take their, take their URL, throw it into archive.ph and get the story. Because I think that that's just, just stupid. I'm not subscribing to freaking Reuters, whatever. Vienna, June 5th, Saudi Arabia will make deep cuts to its output in July in addition to a broader OPEC plus deal to limit supply <clears throat> to the end of 2024 as the group faces flagging oil prices. The following explains Sunday's OPEC plus agreement. OPEC, which groups the organization of the petroleum exporting countries and allies led by Russia, already had in place oil output cuts of 3.66 million barrels per day, amounting to 3.6% of global demand. The figure comprises a 2 million barrel per day cut agreed last year from August 2022 production levels and a further 1.6 million barrel per day of voluntary cuts from nine OPEC plus countries. OPEC plus did not increase the 2023 production cuts, but on Sunday, an by Saudi Arabia pledged an additional voluntary oil output reduction of 1 million barrels per day for the month of July, which could be extended as a result, the country's output will drop to 9 million barrels per day in July from around 10 million barrels per day in May. The OPEC Plus Alliance on Sunday chose to focus on lower production target for yeah, 2024. So honestly, that's sort of what happened on the OPEC meeting that occurred in Vienna over the weekend. What did oil do? Let's find out. West Texas Intermediate is up 1.63%. Brent is up 1.68%. Natural gas is up five and a third point, and gasoline is up one and a half percent. Okay, so I'm just going to pause there for the commodities just to say that I have a theory. You want to hear it? Here it goes. If we see these... I don't want to call it saber rattling because OPEC has a tendency to make good on what they say they're going to make good on and actually cut production or increase production after they meet in Vienna. All right. So this is for July, admittedly, but they have this tendency to not basically, you know, they basically make good on their promises is what I'm trying to say. 
So I would have expected a larger spike and a complete evisceration of the short sellers in oil as of Monday morning. That hasn't occurred. So what I wonder, my theory is that Washington, D.C. is using Wall Street to commit or engage in economic warfare against Saudi Arabia and that it's possible that these cuts don't raise the price to $80 a barrel on Brent North Sea like Saudi Arabia really wants. They want a floor of 80 bucks a barrel on Brent North Sea. That's what they want. Right? So that would put West Texas Intermediate somewhere around 79, 78, five, you know, 0.5, something like that. In either event, my theory is, is that Washington is using Wall Street, which is private. Okay, now, agreed, agreed. I get it. We know that the relationship is, is corrupt. I understand that. But technically, that's not, they're not supposed to be able to do that. So I, my theory literally is that Washington, D.C. is going to engage in open economic, well, actually, in covert economic warfare, covering themselves with their friends over in New York, over there on Wall Street. And that the, that the Saudis, <laughs> I don't know if they're going to be put in a bad position or, or a good position because Saudi Arabia has got a shit ton of money. They've been making shit tons of money forever. Their citizenry is actually doing kind of okay. Honestly, of course, the princes and sultans and whatever, they're rich as shit with yachts and planes and whatnot like that. So it's not like they're not corrupt. I'm just saying that of all the people on the planet, the Saudi Arabians are probably in the best position to weather a, a protracted ongoing uh, or, well, an ongoing war with Wall Street basically at the behest of Washington, D.C. That's most likely a political move by the Biden camp who wants to either get him reelected or at least the, the Democrat field to be reelected by suppressing prices. But they've got a long way to go. You think waiting for the having has taken a long time be be a political manipulator or somebody that that camps in the political camp and on, on honestly a year out from elections is a long 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 time so just saying all right on with the rest gold up a quarter silver is down a half platinum is up 3.39% copper is up uh, over a point and palladium is up uh two thirds of a point Lumber is up a half. Wheat is up 1.13%, but it's not the biggest winner. Coffee is 1.41% to the upside. Biggest loser today is corn, of course, 1.97% to the downside. I got live cattle up a third. Lean hogs are down two-thirds, and feeder cattle are up a third. Dow is down 0.18%. S&P is up 0.39%. NASDAQ up 0.8% and the S&P mini is down 0.65%. Real money struggling $25,764.41. And that's because of the Binance news. That's what that is. Right? So it's not anything else. It's just, and this is actually where retail does have a tendency to impact because that news got released to everybody pretty much, you know, the same. I, you know, I, I could be wrong, obviously, but still, in my estimation, this type of news affects institutional as well as the as the retail feed. So everybody 
got scared and sold, and now we're at twenty five seven sixty four. Uh, that's after, but see what low volume. Only two hundred and eighty three thousand BTC have affected that price change in the last twenty four hours. Hold on. Oh, <clears throat> sorry. Got I I I got distracted. Shiny. Shiny. Uh, average transaction value is 0.847 BTC. Median transaction value is 0.021 BTC. Block times are nailed right at 10 minutes and zero seconds. Uh, 0.3 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 75 and a half taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period with an 18 point what two nine percent increase in hash rate? We're back up to three hundred and eighty three exahashes per second. Doge has dropped significantly six point six United States pennies. So you can imagine how that ripples through the rest of the shitcoin because that is your shitcoin indicator. Uh, we have a four ooh four hundred and ninety eight point two billion dollar market capitalization still holding with gold at three point eight two percent of gold's market cap. You can get 13.2 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,393,474.5 of, and 5,336.5 of those are in the Lightning Network, valued at a mere $137.1 million. We have, what, 70,814 payment channels running over Tor, and 63%, actually, well, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it that way, 70 1,814 payment channels that we can see. All of Lightning, 63.9% of it is running over Tor. We have a estimated 1 point or negative 1.7% difficulty change coming on June the 14th of 2023. Uh, Mempools are lower than 200 blocks, which is nice. 187 blocks in mempool.space carrying 304,000 unconfirmed transactions and their hash rate is looking like it's 358.7 exahashes per second. But regardless, your low priority fees are 54 Satoshis per V-byte. High priority is 67 Satoshis per V-byte. So you're looking at about $2.41 per standard SegWit transaction. I am now number nine on the fountain app charts for Bitcoin and uh, and here's Nick Dose, underscore Dose, with almost 10,000 sats. It's a row of nines who says, I left a five-star review. Good luck on your hunt for a worthy Bitcoin sponsor. You put out a consistent, high-quality product, and I hope it's still standing on the other side of this bear market. I, it's easier for me as a one-man show to do that. It 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 is. It's easier for me to survive these kinds of things because... I do all the pre-production. I do all the post-production. I do the recording, as you can hear. I make, you know, the cover art. I put it out on social media. I, you know, I've got SoundCloud as my host. I'm easy, It's easier for me to bear this. If this is one of the reasons why I'm not looking for Peter McCormick levels of, of stuff is just pay the bills. That's it. Pay the bills. If I can pay the bills with this thing, then I will have achieved something that uh, is important to me. All right. So there's there's that. NW with seventeen seventy six says, "Have you worked out how many sats per minute would be ideal for each listener to fund the show?" I have not. I have not. NW. 
And that's probably a very good exercise to commit to. I will do that. Henry GQJ with 900 says, Q-A-T-A-R, gutter, however we pronounce it. You were right the first time. Oh, say so Qatar? Uh, think cat covered with tar Qatar okay Qatar which has probably happened there at least once considering how much oil they have yeah probably uh, pies with 500 says another banger gracias and cheers uh, BTC Jason says with 420 Bitcoiners assemble round rock Bitcoiners next meetup is at lamppost coffee every second Thursday at 6 p.m. Whether you're a Bitcoin babe or a seasoned Satoshi, we've got you covered. Let's boost Bitcoin together. Next gig is June the 8th. Dive in at roundrockbitcoiners.com. That's roundrockbitcoiners, all one word, dot com. Again, Round Rock Bitcoiners is going to meet this Thursday, the 8th, at Lamppost Coffee in Round Rock, Texas. So if you're even in the Austin area, or if you want to drive all the way from Fredericksburg, I'm looking at you, Adam Curry, then you can go over to Lamppost and get some coffee. Maybe they have beer too. I don't know. I've never been to Lamppost. God's Death uh, finishes us off with 370 says, thank you, sir. No, thank you, sir. And that's going to do it for the weather report. Part two, the news you can use starts off with politics. Ooh, everybody's favorite, right? Well, I mean, it's going to, Bitcoin's going to be part of the presidential election upcoming. Whether you like it there or not, it's going to happen. Why? Well, let's find out from Andrew Asmakov and Decrypt. Pro-Bitcoin candidate Robert Kennedy Jr. can and will beat Trump, DeSantis, According to Jack Dorsey. Oh, that's kind of interesting that Jack's uh, wading into this. Twitter co-founder and current CEO of fintech firm Block, Jack Dorsey, appears to have officially endorsed Robert Kennedy Jr., a pro-Bitcoin Democrat presidential candidate. He took to Twitter on Sunday to share a video clip of Fox News Harris Faulkner interviewing Kennedy titled, quote, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. argues that he can beat Trump and DeSantis in 2024. Dorsey added to the clip, he can and will. Dorsey is a longtime Bitcoin supporter, yeah, we know, who has expressed his belief in its potential to become a global currency. In 2014, Dorsey said that Bitcoin could become the native currency of the internet. He has continued to promote Bitcoin and blockchain technology through his various ventures, including Block's Cash App and mobile payment service. Yeah, we know, dude. <laughs> Asked by one user whether he was endorsing Kennedy or just predicting, Dorsey replied both. Other users suggested that the Democratic National Committee would never allow Kennedy to become the Democratic candidate, to which Dorsey responded, even more reason. And, true, but they seem to be more irrelevant by the day. End quote. Robert, Kennedy, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is the nephew of the assassinated President John F. Kennedy and has practiced law for several decades, specializing in environmental law and serving as a prosecutor for the United States Department of Justice. In recent years, he gained attention for his controversial stance on COVID-19 vaccines, specifically expressing concerns about vaccine safety and advocating for more rigorous testing and regulation. Speaking at a recent Bitcoin 2023 conference in Miami, Kennedy revealed that he took an interest in Bitcoin after the Canadian government's controversial decision to crack down on truck drivers protesting against lockdowns by freezing their bank accounts. Quote, as president, I will make sure that your right to hold and use Bitcoin is inviolable. 
Kennedy said, describing the leading cryptocurrency as a bulwark against precisely this kind of government and corporate expansion and intrusion, end quote. The Democratic presidential candidate also criticized the government-led campaign against the digital assets industry, calling it a war on crypto as well as the plans for creating a central bank digital currencies. According to Kennedy, they will allow the government to freeze your assets or limit your spending as well as to surveil all of our private financial affairs. Kennedy's stance on CBDCs echoed statements made by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, the Republican presidential nominee, who went as far as banning CBDCs from the Sunshine State last month. In a recent CNN poll released last week, the 69-year-old Kennedy received 20% support with current President Joe Biden at 60 Okay, that's the end of the interview or the article, but holy smokes, dude, I kind of expected uh, Kennedy to be lower in the polls than that. Now, I, I'm i not going to wade into who anybody should vote for or whether you should vote at all. I've kind of just given up, honestly, because it just, it, it doesn't matter anymore. Everything is polluted. Everything is corrupt, right? It sounds like I'm a doomer, but the ray of sunshine is this. In the sea of corruption that we find ourselves in, what's the one way that you can get out of it? You focus on yourself. You focus on your family. Get your own shit straight. God knows I got to get mine straight. Make sure that your family is safe and secure. See if you can get out of the cities. If you can afford to leave, then do so. If you you can't afford to get out of the city, can you afford to move closer to the edge of the city being in the center of especially very large cities like you know Chicago, New York, Dallas that's a very dangerous place to be being on the edge means that you still have access to the city but you also don't have to drive through a shit ton of really bad things uh, on the interstates and like you know deep you know deep in the middle of Chicago an evacuation order it causes mayhem Right, but if you're on the edge of that city, oh, it's easier to it's easier to maneuver. Right, that's what you want maneuverability. That's all. That's that's all you need in the corrupt sea that we find ourselves floating in. If you can be maneuverable, then that's your escape route. That's all I'm saying. It doesn't need to be any more complicated than that. Right. So let's continue on with minor fees gathering capability out-of-band fees. So we're going to talk a little bit about out-of-band fees with no bullshit Bitcoin. That's nobsbitcoin.com. BitMEX research team took a look at the fee differences between actual Bitcoin blocks produced by miners and the fees one may expect based on local Bitcoin core node. That's They're looking at one node, so let's keep that in mind, right? Quote, we have detected evidence that the recent apparent increase in these differences may not be as significant as some people may suspect, and the evidence for increases in out-of-band fees may therefore be limited. I'm going to pause. What's an out-of-band fee? That means that I've got a miner friend, a big miner, somebody who's going to mine a block at one point or another, Okay, not somebody who's just begging for it or praying for it, you know, like a single guy out there, you know, on an oil field with a single container. We're talking like a mate, like Foundry, where I know somebody at Foundry. 
and I can call up Foundry and I can say, look, I got this transaction. Uh, here's the transaction ID. I need you to mine me this transaction. Now, the fee that I've listed on that transaction for the for Bitcoin mempools is one Satoshi per V-byte. I will pay you 100 Satoshis per V-byte just to get this shit done. I don't want to be messing around with all the other crap. I just, since I know you, I'm calling you on the phone. Will you do me a favor? Will you mine this transaction? Here's the transaction fee. And the guy at Foundry says, yeah, sure, dude. We'll do it for 100 Satoshis per V-byte. That is an out-of-band transaction. Now, I'm going to read the rest of this. And if I if I can rub my two brain cells that are left together again, I, I want to come back to what it was that I just said and the implications of that. Quote, the evidence we have suggests that there has been no recent significant increase in these differences, which are the differences between actual fees versus template fees when compared to the higher market fee rates. Quote, there is also no evidence that we have found which suggests that out-of-band fee payments are currently a major cause for concern. However, it seems very possible that out-of-band payments have increased, resulting in larger negative differences. It is just that this cannot be easily detected at the macro level. Yeah, there's no way to do that because phone calls... (laughs) Dude, I'll get to it. Quote, at the same time, Fees have increased recently, as have memory pool sizes. The network is certainly being tested, at least to some extent. Yeah, I totally agree with that. So here's my deal. There's two ways that a Bitcoin transaction can be negotiated. You can negotiate it through and within the Bitcoin protocol itself and the fee market that is developing within the protocol. Humans have this tendency to be able to circumvent just about everything. So now there's going to be a, I I don't really want to say it, but let's say this, a gray market fee market, which is done by phone, email, text message, telegram, signal, you name it, you name it, you name it. And there will be, There will literally, not only will this develop into a side market for transactions that are not within the Bitcoin protocol. Now, don't be scared of that. Okay, this is the free market that it needs to to run. The free market really needs to run. And if you've got a, a, a transaction that you think is really, really important that you really need to make, and you've got the ability to do it, then you can call it, you know, and I'm I'm picking on Foundry just because of the one miner that's in my head. I don't know if they do this. I'm sure they do, but I don't know for a fact. Pick up the phone, call Foundry and say, hey, will you mine this transaction for me? Here's the transaction uh, ID. That's all the miner needs is the transaction ID. They can go find it. They can include it in their template. They they can do that. That's not a problem, right? So what ha- what develops? Two different fee markets. What if... And and when I say important transactions, there very well could be somebody who wants to put a, you know, a JPEG of a rock on the Bitcoin chain, but they want to actually call Foundry up or, or signal them or telegram them or whatever it is that they do with the transaction ID. They don't even need to tell Foundry or whoever it is what's, what's contained in it. They just need to say, this is important to me. I need this done. And here's what I'm willing to pay for it out of band. All right, well, so now you've got two different fee markets. The free market, and not F-R-E-E versus fee market, F-E-E. The free market 
is making its voice heard at this point. The free market demands a pressure release valve. And that pressure release valve is in the form of out of band payments. It's not whether out of band is good or it's neutral or it's bad. It's not also whether out of band payments are good for Bitcoin, neutral for Bitcoin, or bad for Bitcoin. Out of band payments just are. Get that through your head because it's going to be easier for you to not lose your ever loving mind about the increase in out-of-band payments that are not within the rules of the protocol. If the transaction ID that is given out-of-band to a miner is a valid transaction, then it will be mined. All right? It doesn't break consensus rules with Bitcoin. If what's given to the miner is a consensus rule-breaking transaction, the miner is just going to say no. No, because it's not of any value to them. It's, it, it doesn't do anything for them. It's not going to be accepted by the protocol. Therefore, they're just going to, it was a waste of time to even get back to the guy that wanted the transaction done in the first place. This neither hurts nor helps Bitcoin. It just is. I honestly, my gut reaction to out-of-band payments, this is good for Bitcoin. Could I be wrong? Certainly. I don't think I am. I think the free market is making its voice heard. And every time you hear the voice of the free market that comes up organically all by itself and is not, you know, put there in a, from a manipulated standpoint or in, from a, you know, a group of people that are decidedly corrupt, then that voice is a good voice to hear. It's like hearing a very pretty bird chirp in the forest. It's telling me information that I need to know. And what the information that we need to know is that ever since this whole ordinals thing has gone down, there is a market for out-of-band payments. I honestly think that this is good. Okay? I am, you know I'm not a fan of ordinals. But they're going to continue. And as that continues, what help happens? People develop methods to circumvent problems that some some X occurs that some X causes some problem. Y people are going to figure out a way to get around it. And that's good. Now, <clears throat> as if we didn't have enough examples of people being named czar, we have this one from Cointelegraph and Ezra Reguera. Crypto czar needed to ensure coordinated approach in the United Kingdom, according to EU lawmakers. A parliamentary group in the United Kingdom has published its recommendations to the government for the crypto and digital asset sector. The list of recommendations includes the appointment of an official who will ensure a coordinated regulatory approach to crypto and digital assets. To help policymakers better understand the crypto space, the Crypto and Digital Assets All-Party Parliamentary Group, or APPG, published a report containing 53 recommendations for the industry. In its key conclusions, the report highlighted that the rapid growth of crypto and digital assets suggests that the sector is here to stay. Because of this, the report also suggests an urgent need for crypto regulation in the United Kingdom to protect consumers and create guardrails that ensure economic growth. That is a bullshit statement. 
They're losing control. They want to maintain control. This is not about the economy. It is not about your freedom. It is about them maintaining control. Never, ever forget that. APP chair or APPG chair Lisa Cameron said that given the growth of crypto, the report is vital to ensure the UK's leadership in the sector and that consumers are protected. Again, that's bullshit. According to the report, UK regulators will play a vital role in delivering the government's vision to make the UK a global crypto hub. Because of this, the lawmakers also highlighted the need for a coordinated approach across various government departments and agencies that could potentially be impacted by the growth of crypto, digital assets, and blockchain technology. To solve this challenge, the report suggested the creation of a role uh, coordinating across departments. Governments should consider the appointment of a crypto czar who can help coordinate across departments to ensure a consistent approach. Meanwhile, targeted crypto legislation in the United States could start the ball rolling. In a Cointelegraph interview, University Professor Carol Goforth... (laughs) Carol Goforth, I love that name, said that if it is lucky... The industry could be targeted legislation on spot market and stablecoin regulations. According to the professor, this could kick off regulations in the country. No, I, that, dude, that's not what's going to kick off regulations in the country. I, we're seeing the, the regulations develop as we speak. Nothing needs to kick it off. It's already been kicked off. I don't know what the hell Carol Goforth is talking about, but whatever. Continuing with EU news, a study calls for additional invasive regulation via Euro wallet. It still calls Bitcoin's proof of work outdated technology. Again, no bullshit Bitcoin, no BS Bitcoin.com. Quote, Crypto poses significant challenges to EU financial regulation. We have identified that crypto often evades regulation due to lack of transparency and anonymity of users, uncertain scope of EU financial regulation, testing of the boundaries and exemptive concepts, reverse solicitation and decentralization and use of smart contracts and DAOs instead of formal legal entities as procedural and legal reference points. MICA and the TFR partly address these issues, as does the existing corpus of EU financial regulation. Where central, a central intermediary is involved in providing crypto services, MICA provides a bespoke set of rules that could address the most important risks and challenges, yet much depends on the implementation. Core aspect in this regard is the definitional matter, which is linked to delineation of various types of EU financial regulation and providing details on crucial concepts such as custody, client solicitation, and so on. Shortcomings need to be addressed in the field of bespoke bankruptcy legislation, NFTs, private law, and particularly with the recognition of property rights, negotiability, and the need to establish clear rules on court jurisdiction and applicable law. Yet, MICA and TFR struggle with platforms that claim to be fully decentralized, but in most cases are not, that we find often in crypto today. We have made bespoke proposals to address these matters by assigning, for licensing purposes, entity status to DAOs and restrict the back door to argue that a DAO would only serve its members. Principally, we recommend addressing the cross-border issue with a cross-sectional EU regulation on cross-border solicitation and financial services, a centralized authority of the European supervisory authorities to inquire into the EU user base and make this information available to the national competent authorities. (laughs) 
I love how they use the word competent in there, as well as RegTech by virtue of a Euro wallet. Oh, here it comes. When it comes to explicit mentions of Bitcoin, the researchers wrote, quote, As to sustainability, we argue that the use of energy by certain blockchains, particularly the old Bitcoin blockchain, is idiosyncratic to crypto and now dated. Modern blockchain technologies are much more energy efficient. Subjecting crypto to financial regulation may further increase energy efficiency. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So here are the policy considerations that they're talking about. Deal with reverse solicitation in a cross-sectional harmonized manner in a cross-border solicitation of financial services regulation by expanding the rules of the cross-border distribution of funds directive. Empower the ESA to inquire into cases where third country firms and platforms rely on reverse solicitation. Adding a broad default rule according to which crypto assets are by way of default transferable securities and less exempted. And it goes on and on and on. But here's the kicker. One of the recommendations is this. Developing a Euro wallet under the I or EIDAS framework with embedded compliance as to AML KYC licensing and client solicitation requirements, which only, which allows only compliant, you know, example, for example, licensed and supervised actors that pursue AML KYC checks to transact with EU clients. Such a Euro wallet may also provide opportunities to embed sustainability disclosures and provide the foundational infrastructure for the digital Euro at a later point of time. They're talking about a shitcoin wallet. They're talking about a multi-coin wallet, one that will hold the digital slave coin that is the digital Euro CBDC and a whole slew of other coins. And of course, they want to exclude Bitcoin because it's the only one that actually is a source of truth. And that truth comes from what? It's use of energy. I'm, there's a theme that goes on here in all the governments and all the regulatory bodies. Any bo- it, it, this is the way you know if they're corrupt and that they want to maintain control. No matter what the X is, X could be Bitcoin, X could be oil production, X could be, I don't know, deep sea marine explore, exploration. Any of those X's. If a government body suggests that that X uses too much energy, then you know that that X is over the target. Bitcoin is over the target in delivering bomb after bomb after bomb after bomb. Uh, let's see. Finishing up, CleanSpark's latest update reveals a major boost in BTC mined due to fees. BTC KC finishes us off with Bitcoin from Bitcoin Magazine. CleanSpark Incorporated, a publicly traded Bitcoin mining company, has released its May 2023 Bitcoin mining and operations update, revealing significant growth in both its Bitcoin holdings and its revenue. The company's Bitcoin holdings grew by 44% in May, reaching a total of 451 BTC. Bitcoin mined during the month increased by 16% to 609 BTC. CleanSpark CEO Zach Bradford expressed satisfaction with the company's performance, stating, not only do we continue to increase the amount of Bitcoin in our treasury, but we also surpassed $100 million in revenue for our fiscal year to date. End quote. 
Bradford also attributed the higher-than-expected Bitcoin production to increased operational efficiency and a temporary surge in transaction fees due to increased interest in ordinals on the blockchain. I hate that. During this period, CleanSpark's daily Bitcoin production reached nearly 30 BTC, which was almost double its normal daily production. In terms of operational updates, CleanSpark's 50 megawatt expansion in Washington state is progressing according to plan with the facility expected to be fully operational by the end of June. The company's Sandersville site expansion is also underway with preparations being made for an additional six exahashes per second to CleanSparks operations. To fund its growth of operations, CleanSpark sold 471 Bitcoin in May, generating approximately $12.9 million in proceeds. The company currently operates a fleet of about 67,000 latest generation Bitcoin miners with a total hash rate of 6.7 exahashes per second. That's quite a bit. CleanSpark described its commitment to expanding its Bitcoin mining capacity and capitalizing on market opportunities. The company stated that with its strong performance and increasing Bitcoin holdings, it remains well positioned for future growth in the industry. So while I don't like it that they sold Bitcoin, mining companies are going to continue to sell Bitcoin when they need revenue because they're going to have to act in cash, U.S. dollar, euros. Well, probably not euros, but at least U.S. dollars. <clears throat> and whatever the local fiat comp- uh, c- currency is for any country that they want to actually operate in, they're going to be selling Bitcoin for that currency so that they can operate because we don't have a Bitcoin circular economy yet. That's just the truth. You just got to deal with it. But the fact that they were getting 30 Bitcoin a day, which represent a 100% increase in their daily Bitcoin accrual, is pretty big, which means what for me? Keeping my eye on Clean Spark because these guys are just ripping, dude. And that's going to do it for the morning roundup. Monday Joke Dad says jokes. I tried to explain to my four year old son that it's perfectly normal to accidentally, you know, poop your pants, but he's still making fun of me. Yeah, everybody probably woke up and shit their pants when they saw what was going on with Bitcoin's price. So for the end cap of the show, we start with Binance. Uh, Probably going to be in a lot of trouble for a long time. And then DCG, watch out for that one. But both if if those two fall, especially DCG, if DCG is the only one to fall, that really for me represents the very tail end of the hurricane that hit us causing the crypto winter. And of course that began with Terra Luna, but it's not over. That's the point. It's not over. It's not over. It's not over. Gird your loins and maybe wear diapers. Who knows? I did. It, it doesn't matter. But the other really important thing to watch is not the regulation. It's not all that stuff. It's out of band transactions. And the way that ordinals are in a way redefining how we operate in the Bitcoin space. Because yes, out-of-band transactions have occurred in the past, but now it looks like a market is actually developing that will self-regulate those out-of-band transactions. And when I mean self-regulate, I mean acting in accordance or, or the pressures put on a market when they are organic. They have this tendency to cause 
a regulatory effect that is not put in place by a governing body or anything about humans. It's natural law. There's a difference. Natural law regulation and self-regulatory issues that occur in a forest, you know, let's say, or, you know, just the way that, that, you know, water self-regulates by always, you know, flowing downhill. It, it wants to lose its energy, right? It's, if it's high up on a mountain, it wants to go back into the oceans. It wants to lose its potential energy. It wants to turn it into kinetic energy. That's like a market. The fee market that is developing in the out-of-band flavor very well one day might actually rival the protocol level fee market. And won't that be interesting to watch? We haven't learned anything about Bitcoin. We don't know anything about it. If you think you do, you're lying to yourself. I came to the realization long ago that everything that I thought I knew about Bitcoin is wrong. Sure, I know the protocol rules. Sure, I know 21 million cap, but that's not really what Bitcoin is. What Bitcoin is, is what Bitcoin continuously becomes. And as we interact with that protocol, and as that pr- protocol interacts with us, we will. everything changes, everything grows, and we are growing in a way that we can't possibly fathom. It's going to be interesting. Hang on for the ride. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.